Let us then open our Bibles and return to the chapter we read from Luke chapter 16. We want to look at the first section of this chapter, and that section is contained within verses 1 to 13. We're not going to isolate one particular verse from these verses. Instead, we're going to look at all of these verses in context. Therefore, the text is really Luke 16, verses 1 to 13. We acknowledge right at the very beginning, so that no one is in any sense led astray. We are dealing here with a difficult passage, a difficult passage, a difficult passage to interpret. And that should not, in some sense, disappoint us. What have we got here before us? We have God's Word. It's inspired by God Himself. And therefore, surely we are going to come across occasions when we are stumbling and when we find it difficult to understand the mind of Almighty God. And therefore, as we look at this passage here, if we learn anything, it is humility. We need to learn we depend upon the living God. And as we look at it tonight, friends, we we crave the Lord's blessing like never before that we might be enabled to rightly divide this difficult portion of Scripture. And as we seek to edify ourselves and to learn from it, let us make sure that we don't draw lessons from it that we're not meant to. For instance, there's an unjust steward here. And what he did, he's commended for. But he was unjust. And we're to, we are to remind ourselves of that. It's not teaching us that we are to be unjust. There is a practical lesson in what he did that we should learn. But we are not taught to be unjust. That is not commendable. And basically, friends, this parable is about a careless waster. And I will elaborate on that. It's about a careless waster who, when he was informed that he was going to lose his job and livelihood, he began with earnest to prepare for the future. And if we go away from the service tonight, and if we learn that, then we have learned something from this difficult passage. And I put it to you to help us to understand the broader picture. This chapter has got a common theme. There are two main sections in it. There's a middle section with uh, some other things that the Lord Jesus said, but there are, in one sense, they're all connected. There is a link between all of these things. 
all of these three sections. We have the section we're looking at. We have another section from verses 14 or so to 18 or uh, 18. And then we have a well-known passage about the rich man and Lazarus. What is the link between these three things? It's money. It's pound notes or dollars, whatever. It is filthy lucre. That's what the link is. And this first section that we're looking at, we find here someone who made the right use of money. In the middle section, money's mentioned. Verse 14, which we didn't read, but verse 14, the Pharisees also, which were covetous. They loved money. And then, of course, the last section about the rich man. The rich man is a warning how not to handle money. He was rich, and he lived in splendor, and he didn't care two hoots about the beggar. So that is the common theme. And this steward is not to be seen as a pattern of morality. He is described as an unjust servant. And it's by his Lord he is described. Verse 8, And the Lord, that's not the Lord Jesus, that's his master. And the Lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely. He had done wisely. The master was not pleased with him, but commended him because he had acted and done wisely, given the situation that he was about to face. As one commentator said, he is clearly, he clearly is not praising his integrity, but his ingenuity. That's what he's praising. And someone else said, not that it was moral, but it was canny. Not that it was right, but resourceful. And therefore, we want to look at this section and to glean some lessons from it. And I I began and I said, I'm sorry, I should have given the title for the meditation. The title I want to give is The Prodigal Steward. The Prodigal Steward. And last week we looked at the, at the parable of the prodigal son. And in my introduction, I called this steward a waster. And that's exactly what he was, because in some sense, he was just like the prodigal son. In verse 1 of chapter 16, this is how the steward is described. And the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. That's exactly the same description of the prodigal son that we find in the previous chapter, verse 15 and chapter 13, where it says, took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance. 
with riotous living. Now, we all know the story about the prodigal son. We looked at it last week. We're not going to go over it. But the prodigal son was one who got his inheritance and he wasted it in riotous living. And he came to an end of himself and returned to the father. We know all about it. But here we have a steward. And the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. Here was someone who was a master and he had a steward. And the steward was looking after his affairs. And the steward was one who wasted his time, his talents, and everything that he had of his masters. He cared little for his master. He wasted it. He wasn't at this particular time outwardly dishonest, but he was one who wasted the master's resources. And somehow this was drawn to the attention of the master. And he says to his steward, He called him and said unto him, how is it that I hear this of thee, that you are a waster? How do I hear this about you? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest be no longer steward. Here's his predicament. He's been found out. Exactly what he was doing, we cannot tell. But he was wasting his master's goods. His master found out. Give account. Your time's up. Your employment's coming to an end. This cannot go on. You're no longer going to be my steward. And that's the situation that we find ourselves here in. And this is very important too that we realize exactly who this parable was addressed to. Verse, six, uh, verse 1 of chapter 16, again at the very beginning. And he, that, that is Jesus, said unto his disciples. We noticed in chapter 15 that that parable, whether you want to look upon it as three parables or one parable, it was primarily addressed to who? To the Pharisees and scribes. Here now is a parable that's directed to the disciples. And there is a great thing, a great amount of things that we can learn about this. The last parable was spoken to the scribes and Pharisees. They had heard of one who sinned by wasting money. Now hear of one who sinned by dishonesty. They had heard of one who by carelessness lost all his money and friends. Now hear of one by cunning management of money made friends and secured a home. They, have, they had heard of wickedness by riotous living. Let them learn of another kind of wickedness, dishonesty, cheating and fraud. They had heard of the sins of the Pharisees denounced. That's what chapter 15 did towards the end. What was the sin of the Pharisees? The Pharisees wouldn't rejoice when they saw one sinner repenting. They were up in arms, as it were, because of this. They didn't enter into the joy of heaven. Instead, they denounced it. Now let them hear of the sins of the publican. 
been exposed and denounced. They had heard about the Pharisees, about what the Pharisees should do. Rejoice at the conversion of sinners. Now, hear what, hear what the publican ought to do. Be faithful in money matters and make themselves friends in the right use of money. You can see, therefore, that Jesus is able to speak to all classes of society, and he's able to pinpoint the sins of a particular class. He highlighted the sins of the Pharisees and scribes, and now maybe he was highlighting the sins of the publicans. And who were the publicans? Well, you know the publicans were tax collectors. They're not publicans as we would call publicans today, who look after hotels and bars. No, they are tax collectors. They're involved in money. And because they're involved in money, they're inclined to be covetous and dishonest. And therefore, this is what he's doing here, the right use of money. Well, there are one or two lessons that surely we can derive for ourselves this evening. What is the first lesson then from these verses in Luke? Well, surely the first lesson that the unjust steward brings to our attention is to prepare for the future. What do we find in verse 8? And the Lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely. The unjust steward who had been a waster. And maybe he was the kind of guy that when the, when the master was out of the place, he put his feet up, he had a coffee, he didn't work much, he played around, he wasted his master's resources. But he gets this terrible news. Basically, you're sacked. Here's your P45. What does he do? Immediately, he begins to prepare for the future. Verse 4, I am resolved what to do. This man who had been a waster, who wasted his time, is now, if you like, full throttle ahead. He realizes his life is going to change dramatically and he's not able to support himself. He doesn't want to dig. He doesn't want to, to beg. Instead, he's going to do something else. What's he going to do? He's going to get his master's debtors, gather them together. Verse 5, So he called every one of his Lord's debtors unto him. Only two are highlighted here. Every one. How many debtors did his, did his master have? We don't know. But we have an example here of two. And as one commentator would tell us, these were big debtors. I'm not going to go into the details, but the, the savings that this unjust steward brought about to his master's debtors were enormous. They would make a big difference to their balance sheets. And do you see, friends, how quickly he went about all of this? Take thy bill, the end of verse 6. Take thy bill and sit down quickly and write 50. 
He was urgent. He was keen. He was resolved. This man had a new lease of life. Why? Because his life was going to change. No longer had he got a soft, comfortable life. He was looking, for, he was looking towards a life of hardship. A life completely and utterly different from what he enjoyed before. And he was prepared to undertake something, to do something about it. And that's why his master commended him. Because he was one who wanted to do something about his future and to do it quickly. Surely all of us here tonight, we can take this advice. We can adopt what he did. We don't adopt his dishonesty. Of course not. But his mindset to prepare for the future is something that every single one of us should grasp. This is the lesson. This is the important lesson that we are meant to drive from this. We are to prepare for the end. We are to prepare for eternity. We are to prepare for that day when we shall go to our long home. That's what is required of us. Here was one who went to great lengths to provide for his earthly future. Are we not to go to great lengths to apply for our heavenly future, for eternity, for an end that will never end? Or are we going to be like others and are we going to bury our head in the sand? This nation at this time is confronted with death. But what good is it doing? Has it awakened people to their own mortality? Multitudes and multitudes without number are going past a coffin. It's bordering on idolatry. We're all for respect, and indeed it is a time for respect, but it's a time to consider our own mortality. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. This is the kind of mentality that moved and motivated this individual. His days of ease were over, and he had to make provision And soon, friends, soon and very soon for some of us, we'll be in eternity. And how will we fare? How will we stand on that day? Are we preparing for the future? Are we preparing for that inevitable future? There's nothing that you and I can do to change things. You know, we were brought into this world at God's appointed time. And we shall be brought out of this world at God's appointed time. We won't get a moment longer. All the time that we got, we will have, we will get. No more. Not a second more. Not a day more. And eternity is nearer to every one of us than it ever has been. Here you are, sitting in the warmth of Partick, church this evening. 
It's a sobering thought, but it might be our last time. Sobering. But we must be sober. We must indeed prepare. We cannot continue. We cannot be like the world and not accept these things. And when they overtake us, it's too late because there's no repentance, friends, in the grave. There's no repentance. And tomorrow, friends, you will see a tremendous amount of pomp and ceremony. You'll see an, an, an awful lot of warm words have been said by clergymen and by other people and how they will praise the monarch. But, oh, friends, it will matter little. It doesn't matter who will bury you. It doesn't matter the oration that's given at your funeral. All these things are irrelevant. What happens in the here and now, that's what matters. Are we in Christ now? Do we have the Lord as our Savior now? Have we closed in with Christ now? Are we joined by faith to Him now? This is what matters. And it doesn't matter how many ministers are at your funeral. It doesn't matter the sound of the prayers and how well they are and how the singing is or whatever. These things are irrelevant. It will be you and God Almighty. And you are urged at this time when it is the day of grace, when we say you're on mercy's ground, now is the day of salvation. Now. The Lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely. And oh, there is no wisdom like seeking the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And if we truly fear the Lord, we will seek him. And friends, we have a great encouragement to seek him because those that seek him shall find him. That's what the Bible would teach us. No one sought the Lord and did not find him. And if you're still in your sins tonight, it's high time that you took a shake to yourself. It's a high time that you got wise. And it's a high time you turned your back upon your world, upon your life, upon your friends, upon everything, and began to seek the Lord Jesus Christ that you truly might be wise. Are you therefore providing for the future? Or are you just living from day to day? And if that's all you're doing, you're just living. But friends, when you're in Christ, when you're saved, when you know that glorious experience, when you're born again by the Spirit of God, and when you know the life of God has come into your soul, and when you know repentance and faith, and when you know something of sanctification, then you know the truth of the words of the Lord Jesus, I have come that you might have life, and that you might have it more abundantly. All of us without Christ, what are we doing? We're simply living, we're simply existing. It's only when you have him as Lord. It's only when you have him as Savior. Then your life begins. Then it's truly wise. Without him, it's all foolishness. And you can see and appreciate the truth of Solomon. Vanity of vanity. All is vanity. This is a lesson we need to learn and keep learning. The Christian must keep learning this. 
we can be so engrossed in the world. It can drag us. It can cause us to lose sight and lose our, our sharpness and to lose our vitality. Keep preparing for eternity because that's all that matters. That's all that matters one day. Everything that's precious to our eyes at this moment, whatever it is, whether it be possessions, whether it be money, whether it be fame, whether it be loved ones, one day all of these things shall be taken from us. Prepare, therefore, for eternity. Be wise. Adopt the, the mindset of the unjust steward who was prepared to sin in order to secure his future. We are not urged to sin to secure our future. No, we are urged to avail ourselves of what God has provided in the gospel for us. It's there. It's in Christ. It's yours. Take it. Come. Follow him, he says. What else then can we learn? Well, secondly, maybe we could learn using money rightly. Using money rightly. Verse 9 a difficult verse for us, but let us read it. And I say unto you, here's Jesus applying this parable. Make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when ye fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. What is this verse teaching to us? Well, I'm inclined to believe, friends, here... The Lord Jesus Christ is telling his disciples and the publicans, make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness. What is he saying? He is telling us here, use your secular wealth. Use your worldly wealth. Use your earthly resources in order to further the kingdom of God. He is not saying to buy your way into heaven. That's not what he's saying at all. That will be completely against everything we're taught in the Bible. We know that we are saved by faith. It is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, and not by works, so that no man may boast. But what he is saying to his disciples, use your worldly wealth, use the mammon of unrighteousness, worldly money, secular money, use what you've got to further the cause of Almighty God, the kingdom of God. When you fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. Well, he is talking here about the believer ending up in heaven and being met by someone who benefited from their use of their money. 
Let me explain, if I can. You might support a missionary, a sole missionary in Kenya, Nigeria. You might have a standing order set up and you pay £10 to this missionary. You've done it for a number of years. You have some communication with the, with the missionary. You're delighted to support the missionary in the work. You don't know the influence that your money has. That missionary may well, may well work away and nothing much happens, but unknown to the missionary, unknown to you, someone has been converted through the work of the missionary. The missionary may not even know about this themselves. This often happens in Christian work. People are converted by the most unusual ways and means. But you have given money regularly to this mission or to this missionary, and it has been used in the kingdom of God. And here is the believer who has used his worldly wealth, and when he himself or she herself goes to heaven, they are met by someone who has benefited from their generosity. That's what he's teaching there. To make a right use of our resources. And maybe this is a time for us to consider these things. Our resources, some of us are more than others. The minister doesn't know these things, and neither does he want to know these things. But God knows them. God knows our wallets. God knows our bank balances. God knows what we need. We are to use our worldly wealth for the furtherance of the kingdom of God. That's what he's teaching there. This is something we need to take on board, to use our money rightly. Our money's not to be hoarded. It is to be used. And what could be a better cause than the furtherance of the kingdom of Christ? Oh, friends, to see men and women brought to salvation, you might be ignorant of it. Indeed, it may well happen after you've gone to glory yourself. Who knows? What a wonderful thing it would be for the minister if he's gone to glory and people are listening to his sermons 10 years, 20 years, 30 years and one or two are converted. Would that not be wonderful? Would our minister not delight in that? Who knows? Who knows? We don't know these things. These things are in the hands of God. But we can use our money wisely. That's what he's talking about. And I repeat, not to earn our salvation. Away with that. We don't believe that for one moment. But the disciple who has been saved by grace, he recognizes that everything he has belongs to the Lord. And if you want to know the spiritual temperature of yourself or any other believer, you might think, oh, well, there's a great believer he can preach. Or you might say, there's a spiritual believer. He can pray. 
Or you might say something else. There's that spiritual believer. He can go on the streets. He can, he can witness. He's a great evangelist. Surely he's walking close with the Lord. There's another way that you can gauge your own spiritual temperature. Does it loosen your wallet? Has it made an impact on your wallet? There's a very practical way of looking at your spiritual life. We like to look for means of grace or marks of grace, I should say. Here's a mark of grace. Not someone who wastes and squanders his money, but someone who uses it wisely, who seeks to be led and guided by God that he might use what God has given unto him. Surely, friends, I don't think I'm distorting the Word of God when we can derive this lesson from this portion of Scripture. Briefly, thirdly, there is another lesson that we can highlight. And it's been faithful in the least of things. Verses 10 and 11. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And here, Jesus is instructing us to be faithful in small things. Let me try to give you an illustration that would help. You've gone to a new place, a new neighborhood. You want a job done in your house. You don't know who that you could call upon. You're not familiar with the tradesmen of the area. What do you do? Well, maybe you'll call a tradesman and you'll get him to do a wee job, a small job. He comes. He does a good job. You begin to trust him. You take him for something else. Or he comes and he doesn't do a good job. He doesn't turn up in time. He doesn't bring the right tools. He doesn't do the job properly. He's not faithful in little things. You would never then ask him to do a major job. But the one who came and did the small job diligently, earnestly, seriously, you will be delighted to have him to undertake any other major job that you might have. Jesus is telling us to be faithful in small things. The Bible gives us a great example. Judas. Judas was an apostle. Judas was the treasurer. I cannot be certain, but I don't think there would have been an awful lot of money in the bag. I can't imagine the Lord and his disciples being awash with the bag being full of money. But even from that little bag and from the little amount in that bag, Judas was helping himself. 
even from that little amount. The fact that he couldn't be trusted with unrighteous mammon demonstrated there was something wrong with his character, and therefore he would never be entrusted as being a real apostle to go forth and to preach the gospel, because that defect in his character revealed itself when he betrayed the Lord. Here, Jesus is telling us to be faithful in the little things, in the little things of life. And when we are faithful in these things, then we will be entrusted with greater things. And if we're unfaithful in the small things, we'll not be entrusted with important things. Here we have then the prodigal steward. Let us learn primarily from him that we might prepare for eternity.